All right, back to the parables, the parables of the Bible, and then the application of those parables. And last week, uh, Mark did the parable of the farmer and his seed. And Mark's not in here to defend himself. I didn't know he wasn't going to be here. He's working with the kids this morning. Because Mark, for those who weren't here, you ladies particularly, explained that he was not a farmer. That the only seed planting he did was to plant food plots to draw deer in. You know, I'm sitting there thinking, you did that to Bambi, Mark? I mean, really? (laughs) So I thought it would be fun to take Mark's experience, which he said... His own testimony was very limited to mine, which was a little more than that because I grew up on the farm in Ohio and we did a lot of seed planting and a lot of things related to farming. And you're going to see why I've wanted to share my part this morning because we're going to come back at the end of the service and really make some application from that. But our thing was, and Mark said he didn't have a garden when he was growing up. And see, there were 10 of us, eight kids, mom and dad. We had big gardens, always big gardens. I couldn't tell you what the acreage was. I don't know. Never bothered to check it because every year we had to freeze and can and put up for the whole winter for 10 people. So it was a lot of work and we did it. And because I was in 4-H and because I was in FFA, I would grow sweet corn, and that was my cash product every year. And so I would grow several acres of sweet corn. I would pick it by hand. I would put me a little stand up by the road and literally sell sweet corn right at the end of our driveway every year. So I knew a little bit about farming. And so when we get to this parable here, of the farmer and his seed. I'm not going to read the parable to, at the beginning. I actually want to go a little deeper in the scripture and look at what a parable is. So moving on in, taking it where Mark left off last time, and moving into verse 10 of chapter 13, we're going to get into what is a parable? We talked about it. We keep explaining it, trying to as we go along. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But even the disciples question, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, you got you to gotta listen, man, get your ears on, listen to this, because he is talking to every one of us who knows him. And everything we talk about as we do the parables or any message for that matter, an understanding is this, without the Holy Spirit, we don't get it either. Okay? He answered, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been granted. Now just hold that thought, please. Every person that we encounter does not know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Bill did a message a couple weeks ago about what it meant to be saved and the reality of hell. And this is not to, well, it isn't to bring about guilt, but hopefully to stir responsibility. 
Every person that you and I encounter, whether it's in our family, in our neighborhood, at work, at school, every person we encounter who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, if they die without Jesus as their personal Savior, they will spend an eternity in hell. Does everybody understand that? I didn't ask if you agreed or not. I'm just telling you, this is the truth. We can support all this from Scripture. So here's my question to us before we get into this explanation of parable and then the application for us in a more definitive way. Would you, would you personally, now this, don't be looking down the aisle, don't be nudging somebody, but would you ever do anything if you thought that having done so, you would have caused somebody to spend an eternity in hell? Was that statement clear? In other words, would you let something in your life prevent someone else from knowing what it is to have the possibility, at least the possibility of an eternity of an eternity in heaven with Christ? I'm actually thinking this is not landing well, is it? Okay. Let me try to rephrase. Would you do everything in your power to help someone else come to know Jesus Christ? I'm not trying to force the issue. I'm trying to find out what your answer is. So here's the next question. Are you? Sadly, in church life, particularly here in the West, in the Western world, we've come to this place of having professionals. You know, those who've been called into ministry. And thank God that God continues to call people into ministry. It's a blessing. It really is. But sadly, somehow it seems to have been communicated that because God didn't call me, then I'm not responsible for carrying out the commands of the disciples that Jesus gave them in Matthew 28. Making disciples of all nations. And that is about as far from the truth as it can be. So as we look at this, my prayer is, as Holy Spirit guides me and guides us in this process, we can do some very, very constructive work today that will help us again under the work and guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the things that God has for us but to first of all to know that Jesus said to his disciples everybody hasn't been granted the understanding of the truth of a parable but we have because that's how much He loves us. We have that. He's done that for us. And so we're here today, and he has done for us that incredible work because of Christ's sacrifice, because of the Spirit of God living within us as we read his word. Now, does God still raise up those who teach and minister the word? Of course he does, because all this is part of the process. But at the same time, he's saying, but I'm granting to you the capacity to know the truth. 
For whoever has to him, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. See, again, he say, okay, guys, I've given you so much, and I continue to give and give and give. But the point of that is, as that is given to us by the grace of God, and the Holy Spirit flows that from us, it is to touch the lives of others in supernatural ways. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, he is leaving this work of grace, of sharing his reality for us to accomplish again by the anointing and the infilling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. What a blessing, what a joy that God has chosen us for this work. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. See, We wonder sometimes, why do people act like they do? They don't know. He says, the truth will be proclaimed, but because they do not have the, excuse me, the capacity through the Holy Spirit to understand it, or even see it, or hear it, and apply it, all of that, all of that is a work of God that he has done in us, and he is desiring to do in others. For the heart, listen to this, the heart of the people has become dull, With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they've closed their eyes. That's what we're up against. As we live in these last days, as God has chosen and called us to serve him in the capacity of proclaiming the good news of who he is, what he's done, and what our life is to be like with him, Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return, and I would heal them. He said, if they only get it, I want to heal them. Every person that you and I encounter, God wants them to come to him. The question is, what are we willing to do for that to take place? Blessed are your eyes. Because they see, and your ears, because they hear. How many of you, when you pray, say, Lord, thank you for just blessing my eyes and blessing my ears. Thank you that I have blessed eyes, blessed ears. That's why I can see. That's why I can hear the things that you give and you, your reality. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Again, think about the blessing. Think about what God has done for us and all that work of the Holy Spirit. And and so in his explanation of parable, he says, it isn't that he doesn't want people to know. He wants them to know, but he has a way for them to come to know. And he chose us to be part of that process in such an amazing way. And now we go to the parable that Mark preached on last week. And here's the explanation Hear then the parable of the sower, the farmer and the seed. Farmer's going out. He sows the seed. For everyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in their heart. This is the one whose seed was sown beside the road. Remember the hard places. They hear it. Sounds good. The enemy 
hates to lose his people. So he lets them have that moment of joy and then takes it away. That's why it's imperative for us not to be flippant. It's not a good word. I guess I should change it. It is imperative for us to be intentional that when someone comes to know Christ, that we disciple them in the word and in the faith. It is absolutely imperative. The analogy that has always stuck with me, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that one of my early disciples was a corpsman in the Navy in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And he would always say, I view a new Christian... As, and he worked there in a hospital, and he worked in, in pediatrics. He said, I view a new Christian as one of those babies in the hospital, that they need all the care and all the help and all the encouragement and nutrition they can get so they can grow strong, get healthy and grow strong. It makes sense. It works. But sadly, so many hear it, and the enemy just says, yep. And they're right back where they were. The one whom the seed was, excuse me, the one whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives with joy. See again, there's there's a good experience here. It's like wow, that's good news. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. One of the most important people in my life at that time, when I was 21 years old, when I came to know Christ, I called them to expect for them to celebrate with me my new relationship with Jesus Christ. And their response was, Oh, I thought you did that when you were a kid. But no, I didn't. So we could have that incredible joy. And yet, it's not like everybody is slapping you on the back and telling you how wonderful it is to have this relationship with God. Sometimes it's very much the opposite. You may go to work and your coworkers are not really keen on the fact that you've changed your life. You may go to school and your classmates. I was in the military. I was one of those guys. I was reading a testimony by Max Licato. Some of you have heard of him. And somebody asked him about his life before Christ. And he said, I was the kind of guy that fathers warned their daughters not to get around. Now, you would not know that by his life now, and you would not know that by my life now. But that was the truth. So the men that I worked with expected me to continue on doing all the junk that I was doing. And I am so thankful to the Holy Spirit of convicting me, helping me to overcome all the junk all the crud 
that was there. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Just a quick question. Where does your mind spend most of its time? Is it on the things of God or on the things of the world? Again, we have families, we have jobs, we have responsibilities. We all know that. But where do we go to in those moments that we have at ease, if you want to call it that? Some rest. Does it go to him? Or does it go to all the stuff that the world offers? And particularly, the things that wealth can provide for us in this world. And the one on whom the seed was sown in the good soil, hallelujah! This is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So here's the good soil. Praise God for the good soil. Because I got to tell you, I had been the hard soil. I had been the rocky soil. I had been the weedy soil. But God did this incredible work to prepare my heart at that moment in time when the seed was sown as it was for my life to be changed, transformed in ways that I couldn't even begin to imagine or tell. So that being said, I want to go back to my farming experience because you're going to see where we're going here. As soon as I give you this verse. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. So for us on the farm, if we wanted corn, we would sow corn. That's just not that hard, is it? If we wanted soybeans, we would sow soybean seed. If we wanted alfalfa, alfalfa, it, it just that makes so much sense, doesn't it? It just makes so much sense that that's how that works. And notice what it says. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. In other words, God has put into place an eternal law. Whether you like it, don't like it, it works. And it works over and over and over again. The problem is that some of us in the Christian life have tried to do some of the things that we're talking about of sowing the right seed but not getting immediate results. And so we get discouraged. We get disenchanted. And it's terrible. But God's not mocked. What we sow is what we reap. So, that was the word S-O, not S-O-W. Let's look at some things that maybe have been sown into our lives. And we need to 
look at that in a different way. For example, on the farm growing up, sometimes a field would be let go for a period of time to let it rest, but it would need some cleaning up before you could plant it. Or then one of our real jobs on different farms was if you had a fence row or a hedge row that needed to be cleared out so you could have more land to sow your seed on, that was even more difficult. And I'll never forget, I sadly can't remember the young boy's name, but his last name was Baldwin. And we're cleaning out this really, really bad uh, fence row, his dad and me and him, and we were burning all the stuff we were cutting down and tearing up, and we had these big fires going, and smoke was everywhere. And nobody realized that he was allergic to poison ivy and poison oak. And it was in the smoke. And when we got done, the only thing he could wear was his daddy's boxer shorts. Because he, he was broke out everywhere you could think of. Doing those hedgerows and those fence rows could be very, very difficult at times. But we still, that was the work. You cleaned it up. So maybe, just maybe this morning, if we would let the Holy Spirit do a work in us, maybe we could clean up some areas of our life. For example, this is not rhetorical. I'm anticipating an answer, okay? If you want love, what do you sow? You all go to the head of the class. That's how it works. In fact, when Jesus was asked, teacher, what is the greatest, greatest thing to do? Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love others as you love yourself. See, the problem is, so often we are unloving. I don't know that we set out to be that way. Sometimes it's because something's been done to us. But if we want love, then we sow love. The Apostle John, in 1 John chapter 4, says this. Listen carefully now, because we're going to clean up some stuff. If someone says, I love God, and yet he hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. I didn't write this. I'm just reading it for you. For the one who does not love his brother and sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God must also love his brother and his sister. The eternal law, what you sow, it's what you reap. You say, but you don't understand. I have love people, love people, love people unconditionally. And it just doesn't seem to be reciprocated back to me. You know what the answer is? Keep on loving. Keep on loving. Keep on loving. Keep on loving. Because the actual understanding of the sowing of the seed is keep on sowing good seed. 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 You know what that means? 
You just keep on sowing good seed. That's what it means, you know. None of what we're talking about today is rocket science. However, the only way it's ever going to be accomplished if we allow the Holy Spirit to have his place in our life. And he will if we will let him. In the church today, and having been a pastor now very close to 50 years, one of several great concerns that I have is how we are, we have allowed and we are allowing unforgiveness to continue in the church. So if we sow unforgiveness, what do we get? What do we get? Unforgiveness. So if I am one and I am if I'm in Christ who has been forgiven, then why would I not forgive someone else? We've been over this. We've been over this. We have been over this many, many times. It's almost like somehow some delusion has come in that we think, well, I'm special. It's okay for me not to forgive. It's okay for me to hold hard feelings. It's okay for me to have grudges. It's okay for me not to obey the word of God. Well, the answer is, no, it's not. It is not. And here's the sad thing. The sad thing is that when unforgiveness is left unattended, then it becomes bitterness. And the writer of Hebrews says... And bitterness, when it springs up, it defiles many. Is it any wonder we have an enemy who hates us? He hates marriage. That's why there's such an attack on marriage. He hates family. There's such an attack on family. And he certainly hates the church of Jesus Christ. And that's why there's an attack. That's why people can't get along. We should be getting along in fact, Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples on the night before his crucifixion. And he said, here's what I want you to remember. This new thing, love one another. That's how this world, Jesus knew the world. He created it. He said, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples because you show love. And again, that's not an excuse for sin. That's not an excuse for some of us to be jerks. It's not an excuse for us to be unkind and, and say, well, you know, everybody's supposed to forgive me. No, we're supposed to all be involved in this. This is the body project, as it were. So would you be willing? And I know you will be. To just ask the Holy Spirit to look at your seed say, do I have good seed? Do I have bad seed? If it's good seed, show me where to sow it. If it's bad seed, help me get rid of it. Because I want to have good soil and good seed. Because my God is not mocked. What I sow is what I reap. I've seen people, years ago I ministered to a young man. <laughs> he was young back then. He was in his 50s, you can imagine. 
I was in my 30s. And he had a, he had a very uh, hmm. let's just say his life was not one that honored Christ in a whole lot of ways. God opened the door for me to have ministry with him. He came to know Jesus Christ. I discipled him. And one of the men who happened to be one of his neighbors in our church at that time, as I was sharing the reality of this man's life coming into the kingdom and what God was doing in his life, and one of the people in our church, like I say, who's no longer here, said, that's just not right. I said, what do you mean it's not right? He goes, all the stuff he's done, all the families he's ruined, it's not right for him to have this gift of salvation. Hmm. I also did his funeral when he was 54 years old. We have such a distorted view of our God and his love because it sadly filters through us. And sometimes we can so mess it up. So if you will stand, please, and let me pray with you and for us. I I pray you're doing this with a willing heart. Holy Spirit, Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are our convictor, our comforter, and our counselor. And I thank you for convicting every one of us of any bad seed that we have that needs to be removed. I thank you for convicting and showing us any bad ground that we have where we've let things grow up and spring up. We've allowed the rocks to pile up. We've trodden on paths that have become hard. And because that's happened, the seeds are not getting their proper place. But all this analogy, this parable that you've given Jesus, thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us clarity. That one, we have good soil in our hearts. And you've done the plowing. And we thank you for that. And you will continue to do that as the days come in the future. But oh God... That we'll have that precious seed from you to grow up in us. And there will be fruit, much fruit, fruit that remains, sometimes a hundredfold, sometimes 60, sometimes 30, based on your measure. Oh God, we surrender to you. Help us. And please use us to help your world. In Jesus' name, amen.